get this show kicked off this week. I too, fam. So let's get this going then, Enid. Welcome to the show where we speak on topics of finance, current affairs, and voice our opinions to provide you an alternative view of the world we live in and make sense of all the madness in it. I'm here with my brother from a Guatemala mother that's now in the United States of America, Senor Sanchez. I'm here with my Jamaican brother from South London, Dr. Wagwa. Kick it off, bruv. So crazy week, actually. Might, might as well start with the craziest shit that's happened, which is uh, a fifth state of physical matter has been observed in space for the first time. This state mm. of matter is called the Bose-Einstein condensate. The existence of this exotic form of matter was first postulated by the physicists Sachendra Bose and Albert Einstein almost a century ago. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It uh, theoretically postulated and observed physically sometime later, but uh, physicists believe that these Bose-Einstein condensates hold important information that can help under, uncover the mysterious nature of dark energy. In laboratories with Earth uh, gravity, when the Bose-Einstein condensates are observed, they usually only last a couple of milliseconds before disintegrating. However, in the microgravity of space, this observation becomes much more achievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... it's an amazing, amazing discovery, actually. Mm. And what, does, what would this lead to for us? It's just well, a more understanding of dark energy? Dark energy and dark matter. Uh, one of the biggest questions that is yet to be answered is what holds the galaxy together? So uh, mm-hmm. if you survey the galaxy, you find that you add up all of the masses of the stars and the planets and take a rough estimate. You find that the speed at which the galaxy is spinning is not enough to hold the galaxy together. There's not enough mass in the galaxy. So it's thought that dark matter is that mass that's missing and dark energy is related to that. Now, what we mean when we say dark matter or dark energy is that it's not observable. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really have a color or anything like that. It's just not observable yet. And uh, what we're doing is trying to infer the existence of dark energy and dark matter by kind of indirectly observing its effects kind of like a black hole is not easily observable but Mm. it was first theoretically postulated and then Mm. indirectly observed until finally we are starting to uh, get a greater understanding of black holes so uh, this this could really revolutionize physics one day a a mastery of dark energy and dark matter Mm. we'd be messing with the fabric of space itself man this is hella interesting and uh the u.s you know they're they're kicking off their nasa program again they want to get boots on the moon again they're creating space force you know trump has announced that about a month ago he wants to wants to create a new military arm to control space yeah that that doesn't really uh surprise me um i think most governments of the world and most citizens of the world, they don't really like scientists, they don't like engineers, they don't like new technology. But mm. when they feel threatened by another country, which in the case of the United States, it feels a little bit threatened by China and vice versa, 
Well, they, mm -hmm. they have to turn to scientists and engineers and technologists. You know, the general population doesn't like these people. They, they call them names. They call them nerds or, you know, smart asses, whatever. But when mm -hmm. things get really scary, you really have nobody else to turn to except for the smart people. And um, we, we're, we're looking at another space race, really, another um, technological That's right. race. That's right. It's, it's all happening again. I mean, they, they cancelled... NASA's program a little while ago and you know there was no more advancements in um in space technology for the past what decade or so probably and, two and a half decades really with the fall yeah. of the cold wall yeah oh. yeah yeah and now they've realized we're so far behind Elon Musk was saying as well that you know, we could have been on Mars if that space program continued over the last two and a half decades. But, you know, now we are really behind and mankind needs to find a way to get off this planet due to climate change. And maybe is a, it's going to be a safe haven for rich people to leave all us plebs behind. I think going through the heads of some people they may think um, some ultra wealthy may think that they want to retire to another planet um i think the main application from a government perspective is the military application mm. so uh, space-based weapons uh, space-based mm -hmm. surveillance mm -hmm. that kind of that kind of stuff so mm -hmm. um i'm i'm not sure about uh, the ultra wealthy definitely do have that dream of running away to another planet mm -hmm. um in practice, it becomes much more difficult, I think, uh, because if, if you ran the clock out, we would probably have space technology that could take humans to another planet. But the question is, will that technology arrive before you get something like artificial intelligence? You mm. can send out you know, a computer system to Mars or to Jupiter or to Venus or wherever, really. Mm. Uh, it wouldn't even have to land on the planet. It could just orbit the planet. You could just orbit the sun, for example. Um, so if artificial intelligence is created within the next 10, 20 years, and it seems like we're on track to, to doing that, then, um, yeah, humanity living on other planets may become a, a moot point. But I, I definitely see your point. I think a lot of the ultra wealthy do see the Earth as uh, kind of having been uh, used up and uh, they're mm -hmm. ready to cut it loose and uh, mm -hmm. let go and find some, some new place. Um, mm -hmm. Easier said than done, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that new show now on Netflix. It's called Space Force. You should check it out, bro. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I'll look into it. What's it? What's it about? Is it more of a comedy it's, or? It's a comedy about Trump's new military arm called the Space Force, and their race against China, against India you know, achieving missions, setting up satellites and overall getting boots on the moon. It's pretty funny. Interesting. I'll, I'll look into it. Um... Mm. Okay. So what's this I hear about the torture of a British diplomat in China? Yeah, this is uh, something that's been a bit of a hot button issue, but a, um, a, British diplomat who was stationed in Hong Kong, his name was Simon Cheng. Mm -hmm. 
he had been arrested and uh, he claims he had been tortured uh, and interrogated in a uh, Chinese prison. The Chinese government said that they arrested him and interrogated him because he had saw prostitutes and they released some photos <laughs> of him in a in a hotel. Yeah, yeah. I I can't really comment on the old uh, prostitution thing, um, <laughs> but uh, so I can't really comment on the whole prostitution issue. Um, I think that's definitely quite widespread. Uh, but whether that's grounds for arrest and interrogation uh, certainly is a questionable tactic, I would say. So um, uh, the mm. recent little salvo that's been fired is the British Foreign Secretary, Dominic Robb, has commented on the detainment of this diplomat, Simon Cheng, noting that his treatment in Chinese detention for more than two weeks amounted to torture. He actually used that word. So this is probably some of the strongest language that has ever come out of the British Foreign Office in decades. They're usually quite restrained in how they speak about serious incidents. Mm. This is a bit of a signal, um, I guess, of how governments of the world are starting to change their tone towards China. And this is somewhat of a, uh, a, a serious incitement, really, um, for mm. the Chinese to arrest and interrogate a diplomat. Usually, diplomats are treated quite differently to regular citizens. So this is a significant escalation. It would mean that the British, for example, um, no longer feel comfortable stationing diplomats outside their embassies. You know, are they just mm -hmm. going to stay in their embassy, which is mm -hmm. what they do in you know war zones? Um, mm -hmm. it, it's really, really quite an escalation, even at the height of the Cold War. The Soviet Union and the United States respected each other's diplomats. They would mm -hmm. never have uh, captured or tortured a, a diplomat from opposite side because it could have ended in a war. They didn't want to escalate. Uh, it seems that the Chinese obviously are unfortunately not scared or intimidated or, you know, they don't really care about upsetting the British. Uh, one wonders if they would try this with an American diplomat. I imagine the consequences would be much more severe. Um, mm -hmm you have to be careful in these kind of situations because things can escalate out of control very quickly. That's right. Our poor brother, Simon Cheng, he just wants to get some. Now yeah. He's locked up. And we don't, I should specify that nobody really knows if he, if he did see um, prostitutes uh, mm. because unfortunately uh, this is often a, a, a recurring allegation that is made against anybody that's arrested um you know that's true. with a political connect connection they usually come up with a some sort of a reason maybe they even get a confession that you know they were uh, visiting prostitutes or maybe they ran somebody over with a car um mm. and quite often they'll get confessions but mm -hmm. um, they probably force that confession on him too we don't we don't really know the uh, the specifics of the cause um all mm -hmm. we know is what's public information i guess mm. Well, things are not looking good for the UK at the moment. So what's their economic outlook right now, Brov? Yeah, it's like you said, it's not looking good. Um, the United mm. Kingdom's gross domestic product fell 20.4% uh, in April. So the economy is just getting ravaged by the coronavirus. The United mm -hmm. Kingdom has been hit particularly hard because of its weakness in its manufacturing se sector and also its uh, aged population. 
So the British economy is primarily a services economy and human services, they just don't have the productive and technological capacity to really do much to improve an economy's growth rate. Services mm. economies, whether they're in tourism or financial services or health or human services, they're just very low productivity industries. These are industries that don't really have a lot of technology. They don't really have a lot of room for technological growth. And without technological growth, there's very little that can be improved. So it makes these economies more susceptible to shock. If you contrast this with the United States or even with the German or the French economy, which has a very active manufacturing sector, they tend to have a much better economic growth rate uh, over a long term, primarily because it's much easier to improve the output of a factory worker. You know, if you imagine per one factory worker, how many playstations that one factory worker can produce mm. uh, that could for, for conceivably increase every year quite substantially. But uh, let, let's contrast that with the average bank worker or services sector employer uh, mm -hmm. employee. Mm -hmm. Their output doesn't actually increase. The output of a uh, financial services employee has not really changed, I would argue, since the 1940s or 50s when this category of worker actually was you know, first initialized in the workforce. They just not, and if you, if you don't get that productivity growth, you don't get the economic growth. And um, you could say that, well, human capabilities have increased, but human capabilities don't increase anywhere near as quickly or as reliably as the capabilities of machines. And that's really what causes the brittleness or the sensitivity of economies that rely on human services. Mm, good point. Good point. But then, what about the US? Stocks suffered their worst day since March. Yeah, that's an that's an interesting one because stocks were doing pretty well, and um, even in the midst of the riots. But uh, yeah, it seems that traders are becoming concerned about the number of coronavirus cases increasing in some states, which are reopening from lockdown. There seems to be a lot of hope in the market that the end of the lockdown would herald a, a boom in economic growth. But that seems to have been tempered by some of the latest infection rate news. Long term, this is something where we shouldn't panic. The US economy will rebound. Now, it's a very young population. It's quite an educated population. The best way to protect your wealth would be to be invested in a broad-based market index, such as you know any of the uh, Standard Poor SP 500 indexes or a, a Vanguard Total U.S. Stock Market Index, because that has diversification. They can be invested either in you know the, the case of the SP 500 and 500 uh, U.S. publicly traded corporations or the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index, which I believe is invested in something like 3,200 US corporations. That diversification really protects you from a lot of the ups and downs of the market. And mm. it's much more protective than being invested in a, a poor performing asset like a house or the commodity sector like oil or coal or something like that. You know. Mm. Mm. The coronavirus seems to be continuing in the US. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be uh, stopping. I mean, I'm not sure why people thought it would just abate by itself without a vaccine. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, the, the death toll is quite horrific. By the end of this week, more Americans will have died from the coronavirus than have died in World War One. Um, it's wow. just, yeah, we're going to have cemeteries full of people that died from the coronavirus mm. and faster than they did in World War One. Mm. What do you think the U.S. response will be to, to this one, doctor? Really, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, right now, it doesn't look like they're tackling the coronavirus issue. Right now, it looks like it's all about the riots. It's all about Black Lives Matter resistance. I mean, these past couple of weeks have been truly madness. So, I think know, it's, yeah, it's, the American it's been, nation is preoccupied with the trouble right now. That's right. That's right. But what do you think will happen after the trouble has subsided, after the coronavirus, whether we get a vaccine or whether we get herd immunity, which it, by the time we, you know, the United States achieves herd immunity, two million people could be dead. But what do you think would happen after the coronavirus subsides, after the riots subside? Do you, do you think the U.S., what, what do you think their response will be, if anything? I think Trump is going to push ahead with getting an answer out of China. He's going to, you know, try and dig down into the truth of it and find a way to gain some kind of compensation from China. Because at the end of the day, America is in a, you know, an economic war with China. And so I think they're, they're looking to reinforce that and to try and hurt them as much as possible so that the US economy can stand strong and come out ahead in their battle. As to how they're going to achieve that, don't know, you know, but it's pretty tough for everyone, not just the US um, in the recovery stages of this, if we even see that kind of recovery stage. I think the, the world's attention next will be turning to the more uh, poorer nations, you know, the African nations, the South American nations, Brazil is just getting hit, Africa's you know, just getting started. India is getting started as well in terms of their numbers. Russia is still in the midst of their battle. Their numbers aren't flattening. Europe's numbers are flattening, um, which is a positive. But there's, there's probably still another two or three years left in this unless someone finds a vaccine. Now, the question is, can anyone find a vaccine for something like this as it attacks the respiratory system? Don't know. We haven't had uh, vaccines in the past on for any coronavirus. So, yeah, it's, it's tough times. And then, like I'm saying, America right now, it's all about the riots. It's all about this resistance against systematic racism. And over the last week, I'm starting to see a trend that there is 
going to be some policy changes. You know, they're taking down, say, for example, statues that symbolize uh, slavery. They're taking down statues of historical figures. And the governments are starting to get involved in that as well and actually remove, well, sorry, the state governments are removing these and replacing them with more popular and other influential figures, historical figures uh, that had to do with American, uh, African pop culture. So they're actively replacing that now. So I think writing, it does have some good effects. It's a strong voice for change. Uh, it speaks to, you know, defunding of police departments. Certain cities have already uh, done that in the past, over the last decade even, which I, you know, I was surprised to see when I was researching your side of the pond. Uh, but now they're, they're looking to speed that up by defunding a police department and removing it. They want to replace it with a new kind of service also to do with policing in a way, but at another angle, probably more of a community focused approach rather than this strong arm manhandling police brutality approach and, you know, judging people by their ethnicity. So it's over the last week, it's, it's been looking pretty good. It's trickling down into mainstream sports as well. NASCAR. NASCAR is a, well, if I may say, you know, very American. So Bubba Wallace is a very popular NASCAR driver. He's actually the first full-time African-American driver in NASCAR since the 1970s. And he has taken a quite a strong stance in his messaging for change. He's painted his car black. He wears, he's got symbols of hashtag Black Lives Matter. He's spoken to the NASCAR bosses and he's asked them to remove the, uh, allowing fans to bring in the Confederate flag that essentially symbolizes the civil war and slavery at that time. The discussion in this interview was, you know, whether NASCAR can afford to be cutting out that segment of audience since their audience numbers have been slowly dropping over the years. And Bubba Wallace's response was he thinks that there will be new fans that will replace those those ones. Anyway, so you know, mainstream sport is is changing with the views, which uh, which I think is you know quite positive. And the main voice behind this movement or this resistance has essentially come from Generation Z, kids that have grown up in you know the nineties and are now coming into or finishing their education and coming into adulthood, entering the adult world.
they're the ones there's this that are really pushing and protesting uh these kind of systematic racial uh, unfairness so then maybe dr wagwan i think the conclusion we can take out of this is that uh, despite the tremendous damage and the loss of life and um damage to property that we've seen tremendously damaging and negative consequences of this riot maybe mm. at the end of this we may have some light at the end of the tunnel that uh, things do change uh, mm -hmm. for the better at the end of this and we hopefully can reconfigure society to prevent something like this from happening again um, yeah. because I think there's a lot of reforms that could be made Certainly, we don't want to repeat of this this scenario. It's been tremendously damaging um, to us, the U.S. Yeah. standing in the world, uh, to people's livelihoods, people's lives. You know, nobody wants a repeat of this. But we have to, of course, treat the causes, not just mm -hmm. treat the symptoms. Treating symptoms is important, but if we don't want a recurrence, we have to treat the causes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And what's been interesting as well is. Uh the use of cameras in recording these kind of historical events. You know, there, since World War II, there hasn't been any kind of war-like event that's been occurring that's been captured on the, on the camera. Oh, actually, that's not correct because there's obviously, you know, war in other parts of the world, but in America's sake, um, there, there, there hasn't been something to this scale for quite some time. Probably quite... the Rodney King riots is the last time we had something of this scale. Mm, mm. And it's interesting to see because everyone has now a, a camera essentially in their phone. And a lot of these recordings and have, have been coming from African-American photographers. You know, they, they feel they have the responsibility to record it from their point of view, which is really interesting because when you look at their historical um, captures of these events, it's been largely Caucasian American journalists or Caucasian American freelancers. So we're getting a new mix now where you know, I'm just, I'm saying it's, 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 it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. And it's, it's good to finally get a perspective from the other side. Yeah. It's a kind of a form of citizen journalism. Um, what's that, mm. uh, what's that mm. saying? Sunlight is the best uh, disinfectant. Right. So free, free speech and free, to, free information are probably the most, in my opinion, the most powerful uh, tools. Yeah of any society, yep. even more so than, than voting, because yep. I, I think the ability to vote without free speech or without free information is just a bunch of people picking. It's a popularity contest. It's mm -hmm. not an informed vote. Um, I think free speech allows uh, unpopular debates to go forward because free speech is about protecting unpopular speech. Popular mm -hmm. speech doesn't need protection, but sometimes unpopular speech is important and uh, those kind of conversations allow problems, difficult problems to be discussed and debated in the open. Mm -hmm. And it's much more likely to find a solution when more people are involved 
than you know finding a solution quietly behind closed doors where sometimes people start to group think so um i i'd, I'd agree that uh, the important uh foundation stone for free speech would probably be free information if you don't have mm. good information good transparent information you can't really discuss the problem you don't understand the nature of the problem yeah and that's how this whole whole movement started in it it started from a clean view of the incident of the police officer kneeling down on George Floyd's neck, all captured on a you know, on a smartphone. But the whole 10 minutes or so is quite clear there that the police force couldn't really argue against it, which they had been in the past. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's this whole thing has led to global movements and it's quite contrasting right you got countries say for example like australia australia doesn't really have police brutality incidents in the past they've had uh, brutality in detention centers against the indigenous against the aboriginals but now they too are picking up this movement shining light against, you know, the unfairness on the Australian Indigenous. And then you've got countries like in South America, in Mexico, that are also uh, lobbying for change against police brutality. But when you think about their case, it is quite interesting as the police there are not exactly you would say targeting ethnics or people of color they're fighting a war against cartels and drug organizations and their approach had to be quite heavy-handed as they're essentially in a war the cartels in those areas are taking advantage of this opportunity and trying to you know, mimic America and fight back against um, police. But I think their approach is a bit more opportunistic and, you know, causing chaos rather than, rather than an actual race, you know, systemic racist movement for change. Right, right. So it's more of a self-interested movement rather than a kind I of think a so. groundswell civil rights. so yeah how can you you know those are countries that are ha that have to be heavy-handed against drug organizations so it's a different case anyway it's interesting that that the black lives matter movement or the the voice for against racism is you know spreading all over the globe right now and it's a good thing for you and myself, people of, you know, a minority. I think uh, people people do uh, want to improve things. Um, one thing I would say about the United States is it does have this capacity uh, for change. It mm. can often make some pretty deep mistakes, uh, but it does almost uniquely in the world uh, have this capacity for uh, tremendous revolutionary mm. change. Um, 
and I we'll think, have to see what happens in the future. Yeah, and you know, hopefully it it changes for the better, because unfortunately, America's stigma is, you know, racism is part of the American culture, social classes, and how you look defines where you are in society. And it's quite, it's quite sad. I mean, it's a long battle ahead for, for change to occur. But over the past week, it looks like governments are listening and policies will be rewritten. Now, this goes on to some of the, goes into the MMA world a little bit here where popular UFC fighters have come out in their local community and trying to de-escalate the protests and the rioting that has occurred in their neighbourhood. John Jones was videoed um, walking around on the streets, snatching spray cans off young rioters and telling them off. And... Know, buying supplies the following days, working with his group of friends to repair shops, repair buildings, and keep the peace in the local community. Chuck Liddell was doing the same as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was walking around on the streets and, and telling people to calm down, you know, trying to push people apart that were getting a bit more aggressive and bridging up to each other. So it's, it's a really affecting every part of the country. Now onto lighter matters in the MMA world, John Jones and George or Jorge Masvidal have been asking for the UFC release, asking, asking to be released from their contracts because they're not getting the money that they so desire. How much money are they getting right now? Well, John Jones right now, he will be making, within within the millions, under 5 million uh, for his fights. Because he's a champion and he's been around for nearly a decade and you know he's very popular. He's he's um, what do they call it? The one of the golden geese within the UFC. Jorge Masvidal, on the other hand, his popularity has really just skyrocketed in the last year or two, just due to his performances in fights, his way of his swagger, the way gotcha. he speaks, and knocking out his opponents in devastating fashion. Um, he's not, he has the opportunity to fight the champion, but those situations, a lot of these fights have been falling through lately because one side would want more money. And therefore, the fight falls through and they give it to a lower ranking fighter. Not, se- not necessarily too far down the totem pole, but a lower ranking fighter that is willing to accept the opportunity and not ask for a pay rise in the contract. 
So that's really happening a lot now. The, what are they going to do if they pull out of the UFC? They start their own UFC? No, there's other organizations that they can join. There's, um, there's still another uh, American organization called Bellator. They're probably the second tier uh, or second largest uh, promotion at the moment outside of the UFC. Bellator does a lot of work with Japanese MMA as well uh, called Ryzen. Sometimes they transfer fighters there uh, to for special tournaments and special events. So there are options. And the options now aren't that bad because UFC fighters aren't allowed sponsorship outside of Reebok. So Reebok has really monopolized that. And the Reebok payouts aren't that great. It's based upon how long you've been in the UFC and where your ranking is within your division. But the this ranking system is, is really quite subjective to the matchmakers within UFC. It's not a public-based system. So it's just an arrangement that where they can maximize profits, really. They put the exactly. people that... <laughs> well, exactly. So Whereas... What's separating this from, like, WWF? Mm. See, in that case, it's much more like them. I don't know how the sponsorship system works there. But in an organization like Bellator, they still have free sponsorship. So you can still wear your shorts and have all the spaces on it filled up. And in that sense, fighters that probably aren't as uh, well known are still able to collect somewhere in a range of a couple of hundred thousand dollars in sponsorship that will subsidize their pretty awesome, show though. events. Yeah, so it's pretty good. I mean, you're not making millions, but neither are most of the UFC fighters. Only the very popular champions are making a couple of million dollars. And Conor McGregor, who's really popular, at best, he will be making five million. Didn't he earn like two or three hundred million in that fight with oh, but that wasn't UFC, right? Uh, that was boxing, and that's what's he's that's what he was claiming that he made. Oh, Nobody I see. really knows what he really made. Yeah, I'm guessing it was substantially less. Um, yeah, two or three hundred million. Some people were saying it was in the vicinity of thirty million dollars when Mayweather was collecting, you know, eighty or hundred million dollars. It really kind of stretches the uh, stretches credulity to to expect three hundred mil from from mm. a boxing match. But I don't know. Stranger things have happened. Uh, maybe it's enjoyable for people to pay money to get the shit beat out of Conor McGregor. I think that's probably half the audience, maybe even the majority of the audience. They tuned in just to watch him get the shit mm -hmm. beat out of him. They that's didn't right. really want to watch a fight. They wanted to watch a beating. That's right. And Floyd that's... gave him that, didn't he? Yeah, and so did Khabib. And that's what he said to Khabib during either round two or round three of the fight when he was getting beaten up. He said to Khabib, it's only business. Well, you know, if that's how he sees himself, basically as a punching bag for hire, isn't it? An expensive punching mm. bag, but a punching bag for hire. Is that is that his function, I guess? Doesn't want to win, just wants to collect the money. Yeah. Or as I would say, a prostitute. 
Well, you know, um, that's what he, I mean, prostitutes generally have more self-respect. They, they don't want their customers to beat the daylights out of them, but uh, it looks that's like Conor true. McGregor actually has substantially less self-respect mm. than, a, than a sex worker. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, UFC fighters are asking to be released now. Those are just the two most popular names that have come out in the last week. Maybe they can go on the Joe Rogan podcast and, uh, you know, tell tell Joe Rogan their story and he'll be sitting there saying, wow, man, that that's so interesting. That's so interesting. You know what the funny thing is, though? You know what the <laughs> funny thing is? Like, have you ever smoked weed while fighting? And that's pretty much half of the topics on the Joe Rogan conversation. It's <laughs> weed and UFC and I'm not sure what else. Maybe like mm. magic crystal energy or, or something. Sometimes these topics are are quite funny and entertaining. I, I can't work out if he's trying to be funny or if he's just unintentionally funny. Um, well, it, he used to be a stand-up comedian. So this could be like a performance act, like an elaborate joke at everybody's could expense. He, he could just... Because he, you, you watch his stand-up, he's, you know, exhibits some reasonable form of intelligence. But then on the podcast, he's either, I don't know, high or maybe he's been punched in the head too many times. He's lost a good chunk of his brain cells. He's a lot older than he is now than when he was doing his comedy. So, mm. yeah, it, it, he's definitely behaving like a much less intelligent person than he used to be. Um, it, mm. it, maybe it's just an act. Maybe it's an elaborate performance act. So some more normal news in MMA. Khabib, as I would say, is the last man, the last real martial artist in the MMA world. He's set to come back against Justin Gaethje in September. Khabib's got a lot of things going on in his life. I don't know what the situation is with his, his dad, um, whether he's recovered or, you know, and the, it's hard to get news out of russia um but i would say september is a pretty early uh comeback to fighting because it would mean he will be in at least eight to maybe 12 weeks of training before september um but the, yeah that's a that's a very interesting fight justin gaethje is a very well-deserved opponent he beat Tony Ferguson in a very distinct manner, very clear and decisive result, and he deserves this shot against Khabib. Now, is whether that enough Khabib prep time though is that enough prep time? It is enough prep time. Um, if Khabib is training today, which normally he's one of those guys, and as I said, a you know true martial artist, he really doesn't stop training. All it means for him is he has more focus and a really ramped up program over the course of eight or nine weeks in his training camp. But in between training camps, he's he's wrestling every day. He's training every day. 
that's a big difference between him and most MMA fighters. MMA fighters after a after an event, you know, they may take a week off, or some even take longer off. I mean, we've got a fighter called Nick Diaz, who hasn't fought in nearly five, going on six years. He hasn't been released from his UFC contract, which he, again speaks to how unfair UFC treats their fighters. He's unable to uh, leave and go to Bellator or other organizations because he's got fights left on his contract. So he just decides to not fight. And then if you ask him to, to come and return today or you know a couple of months in the future, he wouldn't be able to do so. Even though he would want to, he's physically not at that level anymore. So Khabib, yes, he's got a he's dealing with a lot, but is he in fighting shape? I would say he is in fighting shape. The question is what his mental state is, whether he's ready for something like that. Why didn't they haul out Conor McGregor to like hype him up and say all this annoying, insulting shit? Get him really angry, like you know, he's, he's the warm up act. Get Conor McGregor out there, you know, <laughs> Conor, Conor McGregor, McGregor fire him up, and then Khabib beats the shit out of him, and then he moves on a gate, you know, yeah, Gaethje. But see, Conor McGregor's already been beaten up, he doesn't deserve another payday, he doesn't, he doesn't deserve this kind of attention from, from Khabib anymore, and from, from the rest of us hardcore fans. The casual fans will love to see him. The casual fans will love to see him against anybody. It doesn't matter who's on the other side. They probably don't even know who's on the other side. But Khabib, Khabib's the champion. You know, he doesn't he doesn't need to fight Conor McGregor for the money again. Khabib has his own businesses outside of fighting, and he's doing pretty well. He's opened up gyms, wrestling schools. He's got one or two caviar farms so he's got uh sturgeons and you know operating a caviar farm in russia it's you know it's very profitable you it's one of only a handful of people that are allowed to have caviar farms so he's doing really well he doesn't need the money he's fighting for legacy he's fighting for integrity and that's why he's the he's the last real martial artist now in in ufc he's probably only got one fight left in him and after that he's probably going to retire and the state of the mma mma well is going to be quite sad i would have to say i mean all we hear now is x fighters big names someone like tito ortiz Tito Ortiz is a pioneer in MMA. He's a, he's a legend. He's a Hall of Famer. However, with all this rioting that's going on in, the, in, in America, he's been quite loud and voiceful on his social media, on politics. He's a big Trump supporter. And there's really? nothing wrong with that. He's a big Trump supporter. And wow, the UFC demographic. <laughs> and he's... he's, he's you know, he's voicing, he, he does a lot of conspiracy theories on his social media accounts as well. And he's very supportive of the police force in America. So much so 
that he says that he wants to be a police officer now. So that's, Would, that's wouldn't that be kind of dangerous for him because he, he would almost be targeted by you know a bunch well, of he, he has a very he's he's very well recognizable. He's got a very big head. He's known for his very large bald head. Um, I don't know if he means it or not. Or maybe, I don't know, he probably does mean it, but whether he'll actually go do it is another thing. It's funny. Tito says some funny stuff. And is he going to be an actual beat cop or is he just going to be, you know, putting on the badge, showing up at the ceremonies and, you know, more of a ceremonial <laughs> cop? You know, I think somebody... I think he wants to go to the academy and he's going right, to right. go through that training and he wants to be a police officer. So he, he yeah, watched the riots on TV, and then he watched probably Police Academy, the movie, and probably thought, "Shit, I can, I can do that. Yeah. I did UFC. Why can't I do Police Academy? Exactly. Teach exactly. those fucking recruits how I do things in the UFC." And yeah. He's a. Fan, I, he's I a wouldn't funny give him guy. a firearm. I wouldn't give him a firearm, to be honest with you. Um, he, he he's a he's a guy that means well, all the time, and whether that comes across in his interviews and social media, you know, it, it's, it, people either like him or, or hate him or find him really funny. I find him really quite funny. I mean, for me, he's a former partner of Jenna Jamison. Really? She's yeah. that porn star, isn't she? That's right. That porn star that we grew up in, in our teenage years, we thought was pretty hot. He Tito, had, um, Tito was, uh, Tito, Tito was smashing that. So in my mind, yes, Tito is a legend. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he should stick to the ladies and uh, definitely do not want to give him a, a firearm. I'm mm-hmm. I'm looking at pictures of him right now on the on the phone. Um, I'm not sure if he could shoot straight. I think uh, you know this this guy. Uh, yeah, he, he has been called cross-eyed in the past. Oh shit! That oh no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's interesting. Um, I wonder how much if or if he got paid for that. He wants to join the police force. Why? Why is he doing it now? Why didn't he do it five, ten years ago? I don't know. Maybe all the rioting and all the protesting has riled him up, and he wants I to mean, go defend the police. Interesting. I, I mean, if he's got real balls, why doesn't he join? Uh, the U.S. Marine Corps, you know, they they mean business. Why why join the police force if you really want to serve your country? Why not join uh, the U.S. military? Serve there. Mm. You you know they'll they'll cater for you. They'll mm-hmm. train you up. They're not going to take fucking morons. Um, mm-hmm. The bar is much higher. Why doesn't he just join the Mir- Marine Corps? Maybe I think I, I think his motives are more politically driven rather just than speaking about... out the side of his neck. Yes, rather than um, wanting to be part of violence. Yeah, I, I find it so interesting that these people who have never really been part of a military family and don't really have any military experience to, to speak of, they're almost behaving or they want the same respect as military families. They're kind of comparing themselves like, you know, some guy who a veteran in Iraq or Afghanistan maybe got his legs blown off by an IED. Uh, he was in this, you know, in the same amount of danger as some sort of beat cop walking down a suburban city in the states. Uh, 
it's it's really a fa false equivalence. I'm sure they'd love to be on that level um, as a veteran, an actual military veteran. But did they actually pay the price? Were they in danger? Did they go through that rigorous level of training? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the um, the mm -hmm. police force is kind of like the. Well, it, it, it's different. There's different kinds of police, right? There's inspectors, investigators, forensics, and then you got your average beat cops, union cops. There's a lot of different, mm. a lot of different uh, levels within the police force, and that's right. And that's, that's why the, we have the yeah. problem that we have, or that we're seeing today. A lot of these people that don't deserve to have these uh, to be in a position of authority and you know have a lack of training these incidents occur and and now we have this big blow up I, I don't think it's just a lack of training really i think it's a lack of brain cells um the standards are probably that, too low they've been lowered quite a lot in the 1960s yeah. and 70s and 50s people used to look up to the police and it was actually a respectable profession it wasn't something that you could just walk in there and get a badge mm -hmm. Um, you know, anybody could sign up and the vast majority of people do not get in. Uh, police forces in the 60s and 70s were pretty smart people. Um, mm -hmm. they, wanted, they wanted people the best and the brightest that they could get. It was considered almost an, an honor to serve. And while they did do a lot of bad things, um, the standards have dropped quite significantly. Um, and yeah. Yeah, especially so with that culture of racism as well, it's um, it's it's pretty bad now. Yeah, I think you know some uh, racist cops are part of it, but there's a lot of Caucasians or you know people of color that are shot up by police. I I think we really need a, a high quality police force rather than a, just a complete disbanding um, of them. Mm -hmm. it, it, I think the situation, whether somebody was a racist or not, the situation would have been greatly improved had the police officers in question been a little bit more of a um, higher intelligence than, mm. you know, perhaps they would have de-escalated the situation or dealt with it in a more mm. intelligent way rather than stepping on somebody's neck for 10 mm -hmm. minutes. I think anybody with an IQ over 60 probably realizes that humans need air to stay alive. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, because look at it from their perspective, whether the cop is racist or not, he's just ruined his life. He's never going to have a great life after this again. I'm, mm -hmm. I, I really think that this is not a racist or it is a, ra a race based issue. But specifically for that cop, the biggest problem was not that he was a brutal psycho. The biggest problem is that he has a, a low IQ. If you had told him, hey, listen, buddy, don't kill this guy while you're on camera or your life is mm. going to be ruined. Um, mm. Most, you know, if you, if you have a certain level of intelligence, regardless of whether you're racist, you're brutal, you enjoy killing people or not, you'll realize like, I probably shouldn't do this. But I think this mm. guy, you know, a lot of his worst instincts, as humans, everybody has some bad instincts, but a certain level of intelligence tempers those instincts, puts you under control. Obviously mm. with this guy, he's just, you know, he has the body of an adult and the intelligence of a small child um, you little kids, they sometimes do weird shit like this. Little kids sometimes kill each other by accident, particularly if they're really, really dumb, which obviously th this man was, he would, I don't think he would have made it out of 
military um, military training. I, I can't see him becoming a, a U.S. infantryman or uh, even rising mm. rising into the ranks. I think this guy is, you know, one of the rejects of society. Probably had very few options in life. Um, could have been a prison mm. guard, or uh, could have been a police officer. It just so happens this guy became a police officer. Mm. Well, we both agree that uh is a real scumbag and i think everyone agrees he's a real scumbag well yeah well that's it for this week isn't it i guess so, so yeah you righteous people out there keep safe keep doing what you're doing keep up the black lives matter and resistance against systematic racism wherever you are and join us next time to digest all the madness against. Chill and war. Much love to you all. Bella Ciao. Adios, my friend. <laughs> Sansare, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 e tra gli insetti e le sansare, un dur lavoro mi tocca fare. Il capo in piedi, col suo bastone, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 e il capo in piedi, col suo bastone. Noi curiamo la voce